Words are incredibly powerful. We see this all the time in our world today. And the, the amount of words, the amount of information that's being put out every single day is staggering. In fact, the, uh, the former CEO of Google said every two days, we create as much information as we did from the dawn of civilization up until 2003. So the amount of information coming out into the internet is insane. It's incredible. There are 306 billion emails sent every single day. There are, according to YouTube, 720,000 hours of videos uploaded. Instagram has 95 million photos and videos uploaded every single day. So the amount of information coming into our world is it's accelerating at a rapid pace. <clears throat> and our ability to transfer information has never been greater, but a lot of that information is lies. Right? The ability for a lie to be spread has never been more powerful. And lies have never been more prevalent in that sense. And so we see all, all, all over our world, we see tech companies banning true information. We see media companies putting out false narratives. We see individuals spreading lies. And we see this desire to control information by those in power. So lies are everywhere and they're incredibly destructive as well. So here in this psalm, we have another lament psalm, but it's focused on the words of the wicked and the words of God. That's what this is all about. So the words of evil and the words of God. So in this psalm, David's going to be contrasting those two things and showing why God's words are true and sure and why men very often lie and spread wickedness. So it's very, very interesting psalm. It starts off with his heading. It says, to the choir master, according to the Sheminith, a psalm of David. So the first part of that and the last part are familiar, but that term Sheminith, what does that mean? Well, some think this refers to the, the tuning of the harp, so how the, the harp is supposed to be tuned. But again, it's, it's really hard for us to know in some of these headings what these sort of more obscure, uh, either, either liturgical or musical words are. But we can have a good degree of certainty as to what's actually said in the body of the psalm. So what's happening here in the body of the psalm, um, Jim Hamilton uh, it points out this is a chiastic structure. And what that means, a chiasm is, well, the, the word comes from the Greek letter X, so or chi, which is an X in our language. And just like the shape of the letter X, there's a sort of uh, a narrowing and a pairing that happens in a chiasm. So in other words, the first part of the, the, the psalm or the section will correspond to the last part, and the second part corresponds to the second to the last part, and so on. And there's this parallel structure that kind of forms like an X shape if you, if you were to diagram it, essentially. So what, what happens here is there's this, these parallels that are happening. So he starts off by talking about how hopeless things are, and then the, the, the passage ends in the same way with verse 8. He's talking about how wicked people are everywhere at the end of the passage. So those two sections correspond. And then we see the speech of the wicked and the nature of the speech of the wicked is in view in verses two and three. And that's paired with the speech of God and the nature of God's speech in verses six and seven. And then the center of the, the psalm basically has two uh, parallel phrases. So one is about an actual quote from the wicked in verse four, and that's paired with an actual quote from God in verse five. So this is a chiastic structure. 
It's very interesting, and it shows us, kind of reinforces um, the power and the truth of God's word through this contrast. So we're going to see just how much words are in view in this psalm and why that matters for us as Christians. So let's look at the first section. Verses 1 through 4 are the words of evil, the words of evil. Verses 1 and 2, the psalmist says, Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. So he's he's starting off with pretty hyperbolic language here, right? Very exaggerated. He's saying all the godly are gone. Everyone around me is a liar. Everyone's lying. And the psalm, again, is going to end in the same way. In verse 8, he says, On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. So all around me, there are wicked people prowling, and this evil is exalted. It's lifted up among humans. So this is how it starts and ends. And evil in this psalm is depicted in terms primarily of speech and words. Uh, Evil is done through language. Now, what kind of speech are these wicked people practicing? Well, it's we see a couple things, right? One is that it's lies, and one is that it is flattery or flattering speech. That word flattery comes from the, the root word for making something smooth. So it comes from that root word for smooth. So it's kind of like saying someone is a smooth talker, right? This is someone who's trying to deceive through smooth or pleasing words, saying something that um, someone wants to hear and giving them that that false um, statement, or the, the false words, instead of what is actually true. And so these people are evil, they're lying, and they're telling each other what they want to hear instead of the truth. Then look at verses 3 and 4. He says, May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, With our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us. Who is master over us? So here he asks for a punishment that fits the crime. He's asking God to cut off their tongue and their lips. The, in other words, what he's asking here for is for God to, uh, to cease their ability to, to speak, right? To remove that ability for them to speak and therefore to deceive other people. And then in verse 4, they're making this incredibly arrogant boast through this rhetorical question, right? They're, they're, they're claiming their own uh, power and their own security again, through their words. In other words, they're so effectively able to manipulate words that they believe they're invincible, they're untouchable. And as I think about this, it reminds me of um, just, I mean, again, the world that we live in today and how many political leaders we have or people who are in positions of authority in our world who will blatantly lie, shamelessly lie to get what they want. And then even when they're caught, they find a way to talk their way out of it to manipulate their way out of it. And people like that can feel indestructible. They feel like gods in a sense because they can manipulate truth. And so there's this distortion of truth is often accompanied by hubris, right? Hubris is a word for extreme pride, excessive pride. And this is what they have. They believe that they can't be touched because they're able to master and manipulate their words. And so they say, who, who is master over us? Who is greater than us, right? They, they see themselves as gods. But of course, they do have a master, and it is Yahweh. And even if they don't believe he's their master, he still is their master. And so we see 
In the first half, we see the words of evil, and then in response, we see the words of God. So look, we see here in verses five through eight, the words of God. So the words of the wicked are contrasted with the words of God immediately. So look at verse five. It says, um, because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place them in the safety for which he longs. So God's words in response are in defense of those who are vulnerable and needy. God sees their situation, and so he begins to speak in a way that he's acting on their behalf. So the wicked speak to destroy and tear down those who are vulnerable and weak, but God is the polar opposite. Uh, And think of, of the past few Psalms and how God has been portrayed in this way. There's been kind of a building theme here. So in Psalm 8, we saw that God thinks of humanity and that he gives humanity a role of honor in the world. And then in Psalms 9 and 10, we see God sitting in judgment, and we saw why that is an important thing, important theme in, in the Psalms. And then in Psalm 11, we see that he's testing and examining each human. And here we see he's acting on behalf of people to keep them in safety. Right? He's going to protect his people from the harm that threatens to come upon them because of these wicked people. So there's been a building of this theme. We're seeing more of the character of God in the Psalms. And then we have this amazing statement about the nature of God's word, which really is, the, I think, the standout verse in this Psalm. It's the, the verse to memorize, if you're going to memorize one. Verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace in the ground, purified seven times. So it's a simple statement, but it's a beautiful statement, right? God's words are pure words. They aren't like the flattery or the lies or the empty words of the wicked. And this is is so important because there are many people who prefer the smooth talk of the wicked than to the pure words of God. We see this, again, all the time in our culture that people would prefer to be told something that they want to hear, something that makes them feel good, rather than know the truth that can actually free them. We'll, we'll hear things all the time. People say, you know, you're fine the way that you are. You're, you're totally perfect. Uh, you're not, you're a good person, right? Don't change at all. Or we hear often, you know, you're, you're a, just a victim. You're a victim. It's, nothing's your fault. It's all someone else's fault. We hear these kinds of words, and there is something incredibly comforting to them, right? To, to think that we can just continue on the same path, that there's no need to change. But God's word gives us a truth that is pure. It's true, and it can actually sometimes unsettle us. So do we want the pure words of God, or do we want the smooth words of the world? And what, what these words can do is they put us at the center and they push God to the fringes of our life. They make us central instead of God. But God's words are pure because they're always true. And there's nothing untrue mixed in God's words. Everything that he says is true. And they are pure, it says, like, like refined silver. So it talks about you know silver refined in a furnace on the ground that that phrase furnace on the ground is kind of a weird phrase. It's hard to translate. It could be a furnace on the ground or a furnace in the ground. But regardless of the details there, the point is pretty clear. Right? When you would refine a, a metal like silver or gold, you would heat it up until it's liquefied, right? until it's molten, and then you would remove the impurities from it. And so what we see here is that this is purified seven times. 
because doing this again and again would make the, the metal more and more pure and more and more precious and more and more beautiful. And so God's, God's word is like silver that's been refined to the utmost, right? To the most extreme end. It's absolutely pure. So we see that just like purified silver is precious and lovely and flawless, God's word is the same exact way. It's precious and lovely and flawless. Reminds us of the words we're going to see a few psalms later in Psalm 19, verses 8 and 9, where the psalmist says, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the eyes, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. So Psalm 19 is all about God's word. And when we see precepts, commandment, fear, judgments, all of those are just synonyms for God's word. So this is how the psalmist speaks about God's word. It is precious, right? It brings joy. It brings life. It endures forever, right? It's true and righteous. So when, when the words of the words, world are worthless, God's words are precious beyond measure. And so we have to hold fast to what God says. And then we see verses 7 and 8. This is how the psalm ends. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. So there's a simple reaffirmation here of God's protection. We don't necessarily see how God is going to protect. But in the midst of this generation, we're safe. And I think this generation is not referring to an, a certain time period that's referring to wicked people as a whole, right? So in the midst of these, this wicked generation, um, God, God's people will ultimately be safe. God will guard and protect us from ultimate harm. And then he ends on a somewhat pessimistic note, right? Although I also think it's just an honest note. He says, we're surrounded by wicked people. There's vileness everywhere among humans, and so while this sounds like a down note to finish on, I think he's being honest about the reality that we're in. God's going to guard us, but for now there will be wicked people all around us. We'll be in a world of wickedness. And God, when it comes to the trials of life, he doesn't promise to rescue us out of the fire, but he promises to rescue us through the fire. So he's going to bring us through the trials. He's going to bring us through the attacks of wicked people. And even though we might be scared, feel like God is distant, or feel like we're harmed now, God will bring us through that in the end. So, and of course, we could we could end with the 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 words of Romans eight thirty one, right, where Paul says, "What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? If God's on our side, we can't be harmed." So that's the text of the the psalm and then just a few practical thoughts in light of that one is again so much harm is caused by deceitful lying flattering speech martin buber the the famous uh, theologian and philosopher he said the origin of all conflict between me and my fellow men is that i do not say what i mean and that i do not do what i say for this confuses and poisons again and again so he's saying all conflict comes from deceptive speech, right? And we as people, we often uh, don't, we don't mean what we say or say what we mean. And so it causes so much strife and so much harm. 
even even unintentionally, we can do great damage through our words. Proverbs eighteen twenty one says, "Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits." So both death and life are in the power of speech. The words that you use can make alive or they can kill spiritually. So be very careful what you say. And remember, the truth is never your enemy. Truth is always a good thing. Even when it's difficult to hear, it's difficult to face. Truth is never your enemy. So how often are you choosing empty words over the pure and true words of God? How often when you counsel someone, do you give them God's word, even when it's difficult, over your own reassuring, comforting, empty speech? Do you counsel people? Do you advise people in a way that actually points them to eternal truths that are difficult? In, your, in what you receive from others, do you, do you receive flattery from people, right? Do you flatter yourself? Do you, t- do you speak to yourself words that are empty but are smooth, they are comforting, and they deceive uh, yourself? Or do you look to God's eternal truth even when it's difficult? So, so remember, God's word means what it says. It's, it's supposed to be clear. God designed his word to communicate to us and to enlighten us. It doesn't mean that everything in God's word is going to be easy to understand. It doesn't mean it can be understood by someone who doesn't have God's spirit working in their hearts. But God has given to us his truth and his word to bring clarity to our world, to help us and to instruct us. So look to God's word and its value and its beauty in its flawlessness. Look to it again and again. And by the way, one of the beautiful things that God says in his word is that someday there's going to be an end to wickedness in the world. So if you're discouraged, if you're struggling with the lies and deception in this world, remember what God's word says, that one day all those things will come to an end.